This week's song is The Seeker from Bisto Blanco's 2019 album, We Are. The song and video are open-ended, leaving you with your own interpretation of what may have gone on, but there's some nuggets and key points in there to talk about. And in this episode, Calico Cooper is with us to talk about those and a little bit more about Alice Cooper's solid rock. Buckle up, stay tuned, we're ready to rock. Welcome to the Song and Verse Podcast, a discovery of God's Word, one song and a few verses at a time. Here's your host, Rockin' Odd Todd. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Song and Verse Podcast, a discovery of God's Word through Song and Verse. I am your host, Rockin' Odd Todd, and we are so happy you've decided to join us today. Anybody that knows a little bit about our ministry knows that on Fridays we focus a little bit on Alice Cooper and, you know, his life, some of the interviews he's done, and just his music in general tells a story and a narrative, and it's a prodigal narrative in many ways. So it was really great to sit down and have a chance to talk to his daughter, Calico Cooper, a little bit about her faith and her career and what Alice Cooper's Solid Rock means to her. Um, as you know, we've still got a little bit of a fundraiser going on through Fridays with Alice, looking to give back to the Solid Rock, so we really hope that you'll uh, give that a little bit of thought. But as we move towards this discussion with Calico, know that expression is one of the most awesome things that our uh, Heavenly Father has given us through creation. Um, the ability to express our ideas and thoughts and know that, you know, it may mean one thing to one person and something else to another. And to just see that expression gives us the ability to communicate with one another. And sometimes in ways we wouldn't even expect to communicate. Um, So this was a really, really cool conversation with Calico. And it really, really brings up the importance of what it means to you know, guide and direct our teens and give them a role in society. That was one thing that came up in the conversation quite a bit was teens, along with all people, want to have a role. They want to serve a purpose. And when you give them that ability and you give them that opportunity, they surprise you in many, many different ways because they just want to be a part of it. And so it was really cool to hear Calico talk a little bit about that. And we also go a little bit into her music and her character and talk about her faith as well. This is a great episode. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed it too. And today we have with us Calico Cooper, who is the lead singer or one of the lead singers of Bisto Blanco and uh, also the notorious daughter of Alice Cooper. How's it going today, Miss Calico? It's going so well. You know, I'm getting creative with places to film in my house. So today we are live from my closet. <laughs> That's my great. Are really loud. So this is the only place I can go. Well, this this is my traveling studio <laughs> here too. I'm back and forth between certain areas, so I totally get it. Um, got to make do with what we got, right? You look way more professional. You have like a black background. <laughs> with like a cool yeah, mic. Well, like moving this fan out of the way, like oh. Right. Well, it's it's. It's jerry-rigged, let's put it that way, it works, so that's great. Um, So, you know, let's kick this off a little bit. What's it like to be a Christian in the world of rock, you know? Is is it difficult? Is it easy? How do you navigate that? Yeah, I I think it's it's interesting. Um, When we started equating 
uh, rock and roll is anti-Christian. And, and I'm, I, you know, I know that there's bands out there that are like adamantly like, no, thank you to Christians, which is, you know, that's sure. Well, that's the state of the world. So there's pop um, pop out there. that does the same thing. So, right. And, you know, and country and, right. you know, all kinds of music. So, um, I think I've been so shocked in the past year, uh, how many Christians really are out there and what they look like, because, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> I was brought up in a very like, you know, artsy, there was like so many like different colors of Christianity. And, and I, um, I was really disappointed to find out, you know, when I moved to Los Angeles, a lot of people's experiences of Christians were people that were fake, that were buttery and like frosted and like, how are you? I'm crazy. Like, you right. know, and always trying to get you to like join the cult kind of thing. And, um, and I was really disappointed to hear that. And people would argue with me when I'd go, Oh, I'm a Christian. And they go, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm Jewish. And I go, no, I mean, like I am a practicing Christian. I believe these things. And they're like, but you went out for drinks with us last night. I went, yeah, I love wine. I don't know what to tell you. Like, and they're like, isn't that like against your religion? So I think it's like a lack of, um, of information, you know, and like we were talking about. And wasn't that the biblical choice of drink at weddings and stuff? I mean, I'm just saying. It is, it is, it is. But like, yeah, we were just talking about kind of like their experiences of it. So the same in rock and roll where I feel like, um, I used to not talk about it because I sort of fell into the idea too, like, well, I don't want to be like the weird Christian girl and everybody else is like, you know, and then I, I was, was really thinking about it and I go, what are you ashamed of? Mm-hmm. What are you so, and it was really like more of a conviction than anything else. Like I'd like to say that I was so like in touch with my spirituality, right. <laughs> but really it was, it was God being like, um, speak, say something. And I was so shocked at the warm reception and the respect and uh they i didn't feel like a weird outsider it wasn't like oh don't do that around calico you know it was actually more of like people started asking questions and then i found out i didn't even know <laughs> my own drummer in beast of Loco, sean sellers is like this like amazing like punk drummer and he plays with all these like really big cool gnarly punk bands and I was sort of talking about it a little bit, you know, musing one night on the bus and he goes, no way. He goes, I'm a believer too. I go, shut up. And he goes, yeah, I, I curse a lot, but I'm a, <laughs> like, I'm a believer. And he's like, I played drums in my church band. I went, "Wow, what? And then our guitar player, Chris Latham, we, it, I didn't even put two and two together. We call him brother Latham. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I go, why do we, why do we always call you brother Latham? And he goes, Oh, well, you know, people used to kind of make fun of me because I carry a Bible everywhere with me. I went, what? <laughs> so it's really amazing. And and now I think it's less of a, um, so was this a, a new discovery or is this something you all kind of, this was like, you know, four or five years ago. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And we just, you know, we've been making records and to just never come up. How sure. does that ever come up? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think some people and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, you're doing a job. Mm-hmm. How many times at work does faith always come up? It, it just doesn't if you're working, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So 
you know, it's not, it's, I think people think that you all just sit around like a family sometime at the dinner table and just, Oh, how was your day? How was your day? But it's, (laughs) but it's like, like, you know, no, we, we definitely, you know, have, um, too many cocktails and get into it sometimes where it's like, not in a bad way, but sure. You know, after a show, it's like, you know, I think the last season of game of Thrones is overrated. And then go from there where it turns into 5 a.m. And it's like, all I'm saying is that Lord of the Rings is Christian. Look at the stuff. You know what I mean? But I love those. I live for those conversations. And, you know, I think um, you'd surprise yourself uh, the more you bring it up, the more, it's not like people pop into it and go, oh, that's crazy. I'm a Christian too. But you're going to get a lot of, um, of complicated stories. A lot of people that, um, have been hurt yeah. by Christians, people who have been um, uh, overlooked by by the Christians that they know. And so it's a great talking point because it's like, if, if nothing else God wants to use me for, it's to show somebody maybe that's been hurt by someone mm-hmm. that um, it's not Christians that hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Um, and damage can be done by anyone. And I'm so sorry that it was somebody professing faith. We're, we're human. We're going to mess up. But you know, a lot of these stories that I'm hearing are really, it it hurts me so badly that that's where it came from. And, and if I can, um, if I can show you that not everyone is like that, you know, then, you know, maybe, maybe God can move from there. If I could just do that little thing. Well, and and there's two points that that really kind of brings out for me because you know, my pers- own personal walk in faith, I've always noticed that if I just approach somebody with the love of Christ and not the judgment of humanity, mm-hmm. then like you were saying, it, there's acceptance all day long, mm-hmm. but they're accepting Christ in me at that point. They're not, they're not accepting this brokenness and this flesh that I spew out at other people when I'm in that, you know. Yeah, I'm the worst, literally, like the worst. I, I've got a temper. I, you know, my language is subject to scrutiny, um, you know, all kinds of things. But I'm, I'm, I want this. Right. And, and, and you're a transformation in process. You know, it's a okay. journey. It's not, you know, not everybody got hit by the light that Paul got hit by on the road. And was, <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, I was born into a Christian home. So it's like both grandfathers were pastors. Um, mm-hmm. and I was surrounded by it. So as, as you will, um, or, you know, maybe as like God, God wanted me to, I moved to LA and I was like, thank you. No. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of did my thing. I, I wish it was a better story where it's like, I was on drugs on the street. Um, but I walked away like sure. Not 180, which is like the cool story to tell, right? Where it's like, I turned my back and I went crazy. I just sort of did like a 95. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where I was like, I don't not believe this, but it's just not relevant. Right. Right now. Like, what what do I need this for? And, and, um, And I'd always just sort of like gone through the motions. And, um, I'd never had an experience where it's like, God, like, captured my heart and I couldn't even explain what that was until it happened. You know, I, I see people in church all the time, just like, like having these moments and I'm like, Oh man, there she goes. The God lady that cries <laughs> every sermon. Like it really wasn't until, um, I remember exactly when it was, uh, 
I was still the Christian friend, right? Because there's certain things I wouldn't do. And even if I wasn't practicing them, I'm just like, eh, no, no, no. Right. So, um, uh, I remember my best friend was like, Hey, uh, one of the guys I work with is preaching, uh, his first sermon ever. And he's nervous and he wants a bunch of us from work to come to, to make him feel better. And I know you're Christian and all of the people from work were non-believers. And I know you're Christian. Would you want to go? And I was like, Oh, okay. And I'd never been to a church um, where they do an altar call where, you know, they're like, if you need prayer, if you just want to, um, if you just want to pour it out, if you come to the front and, and, and sing, pray, do whatever you want. And I was like, oh gosh, it's such like in my head at the time, such like a vulgar display of like, and I, right. and I get it. And I sat there and I was going through something really gnarly at the time, like really, really bad. And I had, had it on lock though. I was like, I got it. No big deal. And, um, they said, if you need prayer for anything or whatever. And so, uh, my friend is always a bit mocky when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to Christianity, she's like, I'm not saying, I'm just saying you're a very smart person. It doesn't track. And I'm like, okay, well, agree to disagree. Right. So I go up front for the altar call. I do not know why, maybe because it was a small church and I'm like, well, I should try this once. <clears throat> I remember getting down on my knees and I was praying and then I don't remember what happened, but I, it happened. I felt like, and I started to cry and I was, it was the most um, like amazing thing where I was like, I literally felt, I know it's such an overused term, but I felt like somebody pulled a sheet off my head and yeah. I felt these hands on my back. And I was like, I was like, oh great. Now here's where these like touchy feely Christian types are going to like try and hug me and put hands on me and pray. And I looked up and it was my friend. She'd come from the back and wow. put her hands on me just because she was like, I saw you were emotional and I've never seen you like that. So I just want, she was literally covering me. So nobody would touch me. She was just like, and, and <laughs> so it was like a double barrel, like shot to the heart where I reconnected with God in that moment. And also my best friend showed me, she didn't care about anything other than me. Wow. She would go right down to the front of the altar and cover me up. So no crazy people tried to touch me. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. And and it's cool how God, you know, intercedes with certain people in your life that way too. And like, you know, when, when you need that, that extra pick me up or whatever, there's that one person or maybe a group of people um, that he has right there in line, you know, but uh, the other thing that you really made me think about was, you know, I think the world unfortunately looks to Christians to find out what Christianity is. Yeah. And we're so broken. You can't, we, we, we don't, there's a reason he came and it's because we can't carry that standard. We can't, we're never going to live up to it. Stop looking at us. Look yeah. at what we look to, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that just keeps pointing back to Christ and what you were saying about, you know, I've never really seen that part of it rejected. I've never seen, you know, what he did for us. Nobody wants to reject, you know, no. that's not, that's not, uh, the rejection part of it. The rejection part of it is when you allow your flesh to cover what he's done and be who you were. <laughs> and that starts coming back through because that's, you know, 
that's yeah. that's the part that's a sort of a stench, so to speak, or the wretched old man, or however you want to look at it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're doing a little bit of a fundraiser for Solid Rock right now, and I'm curious, what kind of role have you played in that? It, you know, is Solid Rock a big deal for you? Have you been out there a bunch? How's it go? You know, I have been there, obviously, since the inception, the idea of Solid Rock, and um, we just found, by the way, uh, a brochure when Solid Rock first became a thing, and it was a brochure you know, for underserved teens. And time, it was like, we didn't really know any. Um, And so me and my friend Scott Saval and Dave Mason, and uh, we we all got together and we were like the teens because we didn't, we hadn't started. It was like two days after this idea. Oh, so you guys are in the promotional. Yeah. And and it turns out that I was a part of it and I'm so happy to have been in the inception because I, I, have been a part of fundraising, have been a part of these teens' lives who are now adult adults, you know, since, since this started. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as, I don't know if you saw our video, our quarantine video. So the idea was um, we'd come to quarantine at my parents' house and um, um, they're filming a million things. You know, my parents' passion is the solid rock and, and yeah. they, they, they give so much of their time and energy um, to do it. And um, so we had a, a, a piece of paper. I keep wanting to say facts. I'm definitely not that old. Um, <laughs> but the piece of paper there that was like, uh, hey, we're going to have to address the fact that we can't do the tournament this year. What? Do, how do you want to do it? Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad were sitting there. They're going, I'm sorry, my nose is running, so I'm being gross. But um, <laughs> Where's your mask? I'm in my closet. <laughs> um, no, but... Uh, yeah. So they're like, how do you want to address this? And my dad's like, well, I guess, you know, I could do a video and just say like, Hey, you know, here's what's up. And, uh, a couple of people at solid rock and I were like, or since we're all stuck in the house. And so, uh, joy, uh, one of the ladies that runs it sent over a rough idea where she says, what if we did sort of like a funny, like janky, like, Oh, it's the tournament, whatever. And I go, if you want to go that direction, my middle name is go big or go home. Right. And since we're already at home, let's go big. <laughs> and uh, literally like, look, this is, it's such a joke. People like send me things. Nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I go, all right, let's do it. And it was so much fun. It reminded me of being in like high school doing those like videos for class. Cause we didn't have anything nice. in the house. And so, we were just, and everybody was down to play and put on makeup and costumes. And it was the most fun day putting it together. We were crying, laughing, but it was, it was so much fun. It's actually one of those memories, just making it. That is like going to be one of my favorite family memories ever. Like, I mean, who has a giant pink ball gown in the house? We do. I was like, nice, what's this? And my mom's like, I don't know, but let's use it. <laughs> That's great. So I've always been a part of Solid Rock and, and um, the fundraising and stuff. And we just recently had to shoot, um, you know, a video uh, for the Vakken Festival. You know, my, my dad was supposed to play that. And um, it was so cool because we go, where are we going to shoot it? It has to be a stage. Everything's closed. So uh, we shot it down at The Rock. And we had the teens do stuff they've never done before where I found five kids that were just like, kind of like sitting there, like, you know, in their masks, like playing games, like playing guitar. 
And I go, hey, are you busy? And they're like, and I go, yeah, come on. And so I had like these five kids and they were so efficient, so much fun. Like they're holding the fog machines. And I'm like, when I throw my hand down, I was like, I want you to cover that light with this piece of paper. And the, the girl's like, okay. And so I created uh, an army of like techs in about 10 minutes and they were so great. They made it. We couldn't have done it without them. And when I left, one of the kids came up and he goes, that was the best day of my life. He's like, that, this might be what I want to do. I might want to do stage production. And I go, you should, you should. And he's like, you were crawling around on the ground and like holding wires with your teeth and like fanning the, <laughs> the smoke. And I go, that's what it is. That's yeah. all that. No, that, that, that's so cool. And, and, you know, I've heard so many success stories from that place. And, you know, part of writing some of that Fridays with Alice stuff was finding out what solid rock is. And I'm like, this is phenomenal. This is a blueprint for every single city in every country. I mean, to, to bring your teens and make them productive in society and give them a role and not just sit around, you know, doing nothing. Teach them they, now. They want to is a yes. thing. Like, you know, you're not looking at, I feel like these teens are so much cooler than I was because I was, you know, I was busy, but I, I definitely had that like, uh, whatever. And none of them have that. They're, I, I'm they're, noticing that too. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm so inspired by them because they're down at the teen center. And if there's a new kid, they're helping the new kid figure out what's up. Yeah. You know, they're they're If they've been in the, the, you know, engineering program for a couple of months, you know, not only are they learning, but they're, they're plugging in to stuff. Cause now it's cool to care. When I was a teenager, it was like, not cool to care. It was cool to be like, whatever. But right. now it's like, kindness is cool. And, and being not a bully is cool. It's so rad. Well, well and even, even like somewhere down the line, being a nerd is cool. It's cool. Yeah. And the, us yeah. nerds turned into hipsters <laughs> yes yes and i'm like man if i had only been growing up now i would have been right. so many years of pain wouldn't have happened you know yeah <laughs> but so are there any that I mean that's an awesome story do you have any other like success stories that are some of your favorites like from the past or anything that really come to mind i mean i just love watching there's so many um i mean it's probably tough i mean i've just in the two years that I've kind of seen it, I've seen like Conrad, I've seen oh. Sophie Dorston, I've okay, seen Conrad. that guy from last year. I think, I mean, I, all those guys that were in the YouTube 40 video, it's like phenomenal. And then they did YYZ, when it YYZ with the uh, suicidal tendencies basis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you can't, It's. I'm sure it's tough to pick one and you've seen you know, hundreds well, for, for 20 years. What, what I think what we see on the surface, you know, through the internet is, you know, a teen center and like people just as probably assume like, Oh, it's, you know, big rock star. It's probably pretty easy to slap down a couple million, open a teen center. But this was something, this solid rock has been in the works since I was 16, Yeah, which was like two years ago. But um, like it's, it literally, it's been over 20 years of like hard work think, and, and doing it right. I think that's what I heard your mother say once. She was like, you know, it's like a 20 year pregnancy. It know? is. It yeah. is. And it just keeps evolving. And, and, you know, I know that 
I know I'm, I'm privy to the meetings and how much these people care about the rock. I mean, just recently, um, within the past year, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, Diego started, um, running the, um, the engineering program. So he's teaching these kids to engineer and to mix and into all this stuff. And I, when we were home for quarantine, I watched him. He's taking meetings every like couple of hours. Wow. You no, know, on the phone, he's going, yes, no. I mean, it takes an army of people that you have to really care yeah. about this to keep it afloat. And if one person goes, ah, you know, it, it's literally like. It's like the, playing Jenga. If one of those pieces isn't doing what it's ooh. supposed to, boom, yeah. Exactly. And and I can tell you, if you, you know, if anybody watching that doesn't know, the rock, it's, um, I'm so skeptical of nonprofits. You know, you hear these horrible things where it's like, Ooh, this guy's taking this or oh, it's like getting siphoned this way or that way. Um, I'm right in the middle of it mm-hmm. and I, I could not back or even if it was my own family could not sit here and say, this is a good place to give or put your money because it's really being used for underserved teenagers if I didn't, if I didn't know it with my hands, if I didn't know it with my heart, you know, and if I didn't know every person that worked there, um, far, far more than they're getting paid, you know, putting their, their time, they're never off the clock. They're constantly like, hello, no, I don't know. Like, so it's, a, it's definitely. And they're um, available for those teens too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's, it's, I wouldn't even say a labor of love. It's something that these people are called to do is yeah. to serve these teenagers and it's not like so many of these teens like you said like they go off and and do great things and just like hurt people hurt people um healed people heal people Mm -hmm. and I think when somebody reaches out and says you I care about you and, and I'm sticking with you even if you you know have a little issue or whatever like that you don't have to be perfect, but let me, let me help you. Let me pour into you. And then they go on and they don't have to repeat the cycle of nobody cares. So I don't care. Mm-hmm. Somebody cared for me. And so now it's like in the workplace, let's say they're like, Oh, this person is so unlovable, but so was I, yep. you know, or, or this person is so standoffish, but so was I. And I know that firsthand, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't until, I let people like love on me and like care about me that I was like, oh, okay, fine, maybe. <laughs> well, and, and I think what you were saying a little earlier really, really hones in too in the fact that, you know, you were raised in a Christian home. You knew right from wrong. You knew good from evil, all of those great basics. But at some point, your parents' faith has to become your faith. And and if it doesn't, and, and, and as far as, you know, the, the teen center is concerned, those teens are searching just like anybody else. And I know that, that, you know, all it takes is somebody smiling correctly or just saying the right thing to you to really start navigating you in that path that you need to go on, you know? Yeah. And it's not a Bible. No. It's not like when somebody comes in there, it's like we get them in a headlock and we're like, Jesus or die. Sure. You know? sure. There. And it's not hidden that this is, what what we believe and this is the foundation this is the solid rock literally mm-hmm. um but all are welcome all all kids all teens are welcome and nobody is getting shunned or you know like 
converted in a weird closet. Like it's, it's in a weird closet. Um, it's open for all, for all teens. And, and, you know, I just, I think that that's such a beautiful thing where it's like, you know, who did Jesus want? Who did he hang with? Who were his disciples? Right. Well, they were people like me who are like just rough as hell around the edges but that wanted to follow and that believed and and that's who we can use. So sure. And, and, you know, tax collectors, fishermen, um, you know, murderers of Christians. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. You know, serial killer. Um, and, and I, I think that's, you know, that that's a great point to drive home. And that's what I've talked about with Randy in, in his episode was like, you know, you don't have to beat somebody over the head with the Bible. You, you just need to walk, you know, the way you were called to walk and they're going to want to know what's different. Why are you doing this? And you know, you'll get that opportunity and it only has to be a few words. It still doesn't have to be a sermon, you know? So let's switch gears a little bit. So Bisto Blanco, I want to hear about, I can't remember. Is she the motor city queen? Oh, the motor queen. Yeah. The motor queen. I want to know about this character and I want to hear about what this is all about. Um, so Bisto was, uh, really conceptualized by uh, Chuck Garrick uh, and Brother Latham. And they, the funny thing is, is that when I, when I joined up, um, they hadn't put out a record yet. They wanted me to, I know Chuck from, from Alice, he's my dad's bass player. And we, uh, um, we so Bisto, Bisto Blanco has never been a band without you. Is that correct? Yeah. So they, they okay. started off, um, okay. they started off making this record and I wasn't like, they didn't really, I think, know what, what was going to happen with it. Chuck, Chuck just had a bunch of songs that were like really specific sounding. Right. And so they go, let's do a band. Let's bring Calico in to do some, some vocals. Cause I, I do a lot of voiceover. Um, so really more than singing, it was, they go, can you do that? Like bratty sort of like teenage, like nasally thing. And I go, oh, yeah, no problem. So I wasn't, and you did some of that on your dad's tour anyway, didn't you? Yeah. So yeah. that's where he got the idea. So it's like, and, and I didn't have the gall to say, you know, I can sing if you want me to. They asked specifically for me to do that. And so I was like, okay, so I'm doing that. And so I'm doing all that stuff. Uh-huh. And, um, and I did the record. And then they go, hey, let's go. Let's just do a tour in Europe. And so I initially, and we never talked about it, but it was like, oh, okay, it's kind of like a Freddy girl, like a, like a cave woman sort of thing. So I'll... I'll sort of stay in the back and just do like those parts. And that was initially the vision. But, um, you know, Chuck is pretty good about seeing when something's working. He can read a crowd. He can kind of read the room. And um, the more that I performed and actually less about me, it was more about us. Mm -hmm. The more that I connected with him and we started playing off each other, he goes, okay, people are liking this. They're digging this. And it's sort of like, you know, a sunny and share from hell is how it started. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and it's cause I'm so tall and so commanding and he hunches down and he's kind of like, you know, this like, like, yeah, beastly, like yeah. werewolf. And I'm this like tall, like Castlevania, like vampire sort of looking chick. And so it like worked the werewolf and the vampire. And then we just went from there and then it became sort of like natural born killers. And now it's becoming, it's going into like, you know, space sort of sci-fi thing where I'm this like. It's almost like classic horror meets rock or something. Yeah. And it's a funny thing is we never went for horror. 
yeah. we never would like with our images, with our songs, like we never really sang about anything um, horrific. It was always about like, you know, um, at first it started off, you know, like riding motorcycles and all this stuff. And then it went into like, by the time we get to We Are, which is our We Are's record, that was all about like stand up get up out of the dirt, whatever dirt pile you're laying in, whether it's, you know, emotionally, politically, whatever, relationship-wise, get up out of the dirt and be like, not today. And yeah. so that kind of like the message is alone, alone we can't do anything, but together we are. And that, and that kept coming up in the writing process. It's like in interviews, it was never, I, I found myself never saying, well, I and I and I and you know, Chuck was never like, I, 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 we kept saying, well, we are this and we are that. And we are Bisto Blanco. I was like, whoa, whoa, that's totally the name of the record. We are. Yeah. And so, um, and it really had an amazing reception and um, we're writing another one now. And, and I just, I love the interplay that we have. Um, I love putting that character on. And I think it is me. I think it's also like a part of me that's not, accepted societally you know in a way of like uh i get to just go with my impulses and we have to be considerate and um you know uh reading the room aware you know in our in our sitting here selves i'm i'm set loose yeah. and i'm even like what's happening you're like i don't know and i love it and i know that i'm always like she doesn't she doesn't take crap off anybody kind of deal no, it's what it, you think? a weird feeling of like, I feel predatory. Oh, like, okay. I feel like, you know, almost like she's more animal than she is machine. And so like the character started getting built up where it was like, okay, we don't know yet. And we might tackle this in the next record. We don't know yet who made this thing or if she used to be human or if she was always, you know, part robot. And then like they added the human bits. But I feel like the more I play her, I feel like she's now all of a sudden discovering like herself, like what's this, you know, kind of thing. And she's discovering how she makes people feel. And so like when I am on stage, a lot of times I'm watching and I love seeing this from a crowd <laughs> because it, it means I'm doing something right. I'm telling a story. I'm not just singing. I'm, I'm doing this with you. It's not yeah. me up here, down there. Like, I don't know what's happening either. And so you, so do you ever think there'll be like a concept type album or anything like that? That might I, work. Oh, I think so. We've been approached to do comic books, you know, uh, uh, our stuff just went on sale at hot topic and my teenage self is like losing my mind. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we're in hot topic. But, um, yeah, so I'm having as much fun figuring out who this is. And like, you know, there's, um, a song called solitary rave and I sort of, have this thought process where it's, it's different from all the other Bisto songs. And I think it's this creature just became aware that she has an effect on people, right. And what she looks like. And so when I sing the song, I'm, I'm almost like, like telling you, like, I've just realized I have these hands and these nails and it's so much fun to play. And I don't know where it's going, but I'm, I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Well, and I, and I read a story and, and tough subject here, but I read a story like, I guess a, a year or two ago where the bat got stolen. Did the bat ever show back uh, up? Yeah. No. 
and the prayer hall, I know who took it too, and it's awful because you can't call them out. Like, I mean, you did, I did. I we basically said, look, we know who took it, and the person's like, no, I didn't, and we're like, okay, wow. man, but you know what you did. And honestly, it's like that story of, um, I don't know if you know that old parable where it's like the little red toe shoes where it's like this girl, little girl was terrible at dance. And then this guy came along and gave her like a magic pair of red toe shoes. And all of a sudden she was the best. And at the end, you know, it's sort of like Wizard of Oz, like you never needed the toe shoes. Oh, you were yeah. always so Chuck made me that bat. And when he gave it to me at the beginning of Beasto, he said, oh, use it or don't like it's, it's not that big of a deal. And I just developed a relationship with it and yeah. what that made me and who that made me to the crowd and what I do. It's not just some arbitrary thing. Well, I mean, it's like, kind of like the walking dead and Negan, I guess, but not the same, but you know, right. Right. Well, I remember watching that episode going really. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it gives me. Yeah. Cause power. you guys were there first, right? I know, I know, but what are you going to do? You know? Right. So it, it gave me power and it gave me strength. And when I had it in my hand, it was like, I felt different. And so when that one got taken away, legit, I hate even saying this, but I got emotional because I'd had that same bat since we started. And I was not confident when Chuck said, I want to do a band. I go, I don't know if I'm a singer. I don't know. You know, I don't want to, I don't. And that gave me the confidence to go out and dare you to say something, you know, and then I became what I am now, which is a really confident singer, really confident, um, performer in that way and when somebody took it I was like it was my little red toe shoes I was like I can't do it anymore but the real reason it got stolen was to show us how much people cared about us as a band and about me and it was just like oh every show after that at least three people showed up with a bat they made oh wow and at one point I think we had like 25 bats <laughs> And it was, it, so it was never about the bat. I, I think it was so mind blowing to see people go, oh, I was up all night. I made you this. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're definitely going to do a nod to, um, to those people in one of our next videos. We're going to use all the bats in one of the scenes. And so cool. that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so the, the seeker is, does the seeker have any kind of meaning whatsoever? Yeah, well, if you're dealing with me, usually there's there's meaning. Sure. Um, yeah, it was it marked the first time um, that I was allowed to uh, take the reins completely, and um, the record label and uh, Chuck and the band and everybody uh, I think had seen some of my other work in you know TV and film and some things that I had directed, and um, I didn't. I didn't have to fight as hard as I thought I would. Mm -hmm. I go, guys, I have a concept for the seeker. I know that the record is doing better even than we thought it would. And, and it's getting a lot of buzz. Can you trust me with this? Can you trust me with this concept? And of course it wasn't about like, you know, being a girl or anything. It was just like, uh, and there's a guy that usually directs our videos, you know? And I said, I really want to do this. I have a concept. Um, it's big. I'll admit it but I think we can do it. So they let me, they completely let the reins go and go, all right, here you go. And so it was a big undertaking. I didn't want to let anybody down. Um, but yeah, I, I was listening to the seeker driving home from my parents' house across the desert to California. And, um, I just kept seeing when I listened to it over and over, there's just endless desert, right. When you're driving from Arizona to California 
and I just kept seeing a girl. It wasn't me, but a girl with long, dark hair, and she was just running for her life, no shoes across the hard rock, you know, and I just kept kind of seeing her, and I go, okay, why is she running? What is she running away from? And all of a sudden, it just like exploded in my head, and I called Chuck, and I go, we're going to have to rent an old Western town. <laughs> so we did. And, and um, the story was really about um, a woman who is, and I wanted to leave it up for interpretation if she was sure. wrongly accused or not. Right. If she was a prostitute, a witch, you know, what, whatever that these three men thought well, she one was. One of them with a badge on, right? Correct. Yeah, the sheriff. Yeah. And funny enough, so those uh, two of those guys are really uh, well-known actors. They're on the show Power. Um, mm. They're good friends of mine, uh, Jarrell Lee Wesley and Alex Popovic, and they agreed to come down and, and play with us. And I just loved it. Like, Lee was the enforcer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's got the the bat, right? And um, and seeing Alex, who's such a great actor, too, I, I uh, cut off a piece of my hair for him to like just twist in his fingers, like, like what they're doing to me, whether I deserved it or not. I wanted to tell the story that it was like, these guys liked it, whether I deserved it or not, they were enjoying it. And um, having the people in the town, the women, especially that were all beat up was telling the story. These guys have been here before. Yeah. Done this before. So like, you know, those quick flashes of, of those people who are all legit actors like that I know that work all the time and they were nice enough to come play. Um, but yeah. So when they come into town, I wanted everyone to kind of like fall into the shadows and I loved the shot specifically where, you know, I get up and I turn and I face the biggest of all of them. And it was like this David and Goliath moment where I've reached the end of where I can run sanctuary. Right. I kept thinking Esmeralda in, um, in uh, the hunchback. Mm-hmm. Right, she's hiding in the church because it's a safe place. And when they bust the doors open, basically saying, no place is safe for you, I stand up. And when I turn around, I had all the candles blow out. And I wanted it to be like, was that God saying, I've got your back? You know, kind of thing. And like walking up and facing the biggest one of them and having him pick me up right by my neck and me just saying, I'm, you're going to have to kill me. Yeah. I'm not going to run anymore. And so then the fight sequence was hysterical um, because all three of those guys are such gentlemen um, and I can take a punch. And the three, the three of them are like, you know, they're great actors too, but they're just like, oh, this is really, and I go, look, just, I go, just throw your shoulder into it. I go, I'll do the work. Just like I used to do with Alice during Only Women Bleed. Yeah. He never hurt me, but I made it look like he hurt me by the way I'm thrashing around and throwing myself so I said, let me run the fight. Let me lead the dance. So, you know, punching and pushing. And at one point, Alex, the sheriff, gets me in the stomach and he caught me in the, in the chest. He punched me in the chest. And, I, and they caught the reaction. And I told, keep that take. Because I go, oh, <laughs> went out of me. And he was mortified. He was like, I can't, I can't, I quit my life. I can't believe that happened. And I'm like, it's fine. but yeah and then you know the end of it was really um I wanted it to be like you know the guys the four horsemen are coming in and they're standing behind my friend Wednesday 13 who played the priest um uh so he's standing there and they come behind him and I wanted that shot of all of them to be like are they there 
to help me or are they there to seal this deal? And so I look around and when I smile at them, it's like I wanted that open for interpretation. Like, am I like, you're really in trouble now? Or am I like, it doesn't matter how many of you there are. Right. Right. And so it's just like, it's, I, I wanted to leave it open for, for people to, to go, if that was me, this is what it would mean. Yeah. That's really cool. Really cool. I mean, it's always cool to hear the, the story, you know, from the person that actually dreamt it up, you know, because there is so much interpretation there. So that's really cool. Really cool. Do you want to talk about the burns? Your parents told me about that. They were so distraught the day I met them in November. Oh. And, and if I could, if I could bottle it up, you know, being a parent of five, it's like, I, I felt for them that day because you could just, they wanted to be with you. Oh. And, you know. It's its interesting. Um, there was a period of time there. A, a lot of tragedy happened, like, bing, bang, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, uh, my, like, dog of 15 years died. I caught on fire. A friend of mine got murdered. Like, it, and it was all in this, like, two-month period. And I was, like, a little bit like, huh. Yeah. You know, and um, so, yeah, it was a tough time. Uh, but the burn thing was, it was a fluke accident. Uh, I was cooking um, oil in this big pan. I was I was making Indian food. And I had this, like, oil crackling in the pan. And then right next to it, I had a candle that was, I, I put the candle, stupidly, on the stove because sometimes it leaves rings on my counter. Mm -hmm. So I put it on the metal on the stove. And, um, so I was cooking whatever. And my, my dog who, you know, died a couple weeks after I got burned, wow. uh, got in, she was real quiet, little thing got in between my feet and I didn't see her. And I went to step back and I tripped. And so my arm hit the pan handle. So the hot oil was coming towards my face and I just did one of these. Right. And the pan knocked a candle over onto the ground too. So now I'm covered in oil. The ground's covered in oil and the candle fell and lit. Oh my gosh. So my hands caught on fire and um, it was a flash. It wasn't like they were like burning, like, you know, like, right. a but they did one of those woof things and I didn't feel it at first other than I saw the, the blue like that. And I just did one of those and there were pieces of the floor. I remember that were on fire. And so I went and grabbed a couple of rags and I was trying to put them out, but the fire kept jumping up. And, and getting my hands. So, uh, yeah, I, it was, it was so bad. I, I, uh, I couldn't put out some of the fires because they were oil fires and I didn't know, I didn't know like no water. And so I'm throwing water and they're getting bigger and I don't know what to do. And I, I can't think of where our fire extinguisher is that my brain has gone blank. Right. So I just ran out front and it was like 9 PM on a Sunday night. I remember I ran out front and I just started yelling for help and I live in like a really um sort of like suburban like you know white picket fence neighborhood everyone's asleep yeah and I just started screaming for help and I had my hands wrapped in a pair of wet sweatpants because that's all I could find and I'm screaming for help and this man a couple houses down ran in and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said what's going on and I said there's a fire in my house I wasn't even worried about the fact that I was burnt I was just like there's a fire in my house please help me help me so he ran in and I said my dogs my dogs and he's like okay okay 
So he put out the fire, came out, and he said, I want you to show me your hands. And I was like, and he's like, I need you to show me your hands. And so I didn't want to look, and I showed him, and he goes, we need to call an ambulance right now. And I was like, okay. So I go, my dogs. And they're like, your dogs are in the house. Everything's fine. There's no fire. So um, the ambulance came, and uh, I guess I was in shock uh, because they kept shining the flashlight, you know, whole thing. And there was all these firemen everywhere. And I just remember flashes of it because I was in shock. And I remember feeling like pins and needles all over my body. I felt like I was freezing and I was shaking. And I guess like my eyes were like pinned and, um, they were like, you're in shock. And I was like, okay. And so we, uh, uh, my husband got home in, in time and they were like, you want him to drive you or us to drive you? And I was like, I want him to drive me. So I've never felt pain like that in my life. I kept feeling like the room was going black. I was trying to stay conscious, but like my brain was like, this is too much pain. You have to black out or else I, I, I can't handle it. And so I was in the car and I'm just like shaking, trying to stay awake. And um, we get to the ER and of course there's a million people there. Um, and my husband happened to know the admitting nurse from when they were teenagers and worked at Chili's together. Wow. <laughs> and he was like, no way. And he's like, Hey, can you help me out? And she's like, well, there's people in line. Like, obviously we have to wait, but I can get her, um, some medication right now. And so that was like, so helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, ended up in the burn unit and, um, you know, they were talking about skin grafts and all this stuff. And I was just, I cannot recall a time that I have prayed so hard. I was like, God, I do not, I cannot get skin grafts. Where are they going to take it from? Like, you know, and, um, yeah, it was really tough and it was really emotional. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I've never felt pain like that unrelenting pain. It was so bad. And it was just my, my hands, which is bad enough. But, you know, I think now it gave me a perspective, you know, when you see people like prisoners of war and, and people that oh, have wow. hurt or had acid thrown on them or, yeah. you know, just in the burning it at all. And, and I go, Oh my gosh, that was just my hands. It was just my hands. And, and I, I mean, even just thinking about it, it's like, I'm blown away at how bad that it was. And then what a miracle it was. Um, you know, it was two weeks of treatment, I, not to be gross, but they had to cut away all the skin, mm. all the burned skin. And the amount of pain I was in was like, it changed me as a human being, really something wow. changed in my head because it's like, I didn't realize that somebody can endure that much pain, like cutting away with scissors, already burnt skin, like, I can handle anything now. All of a sudden, the fact that there's a line at Costco, I'm not concerned about it. Like it really did change my mind. Yeah, no, definitely. I get it. Yeah. Um, so they wrapped me up. They called my parents. They sent them, you know, photos and my, they were just beside themselves. How can this happen? Um, and I know they really wanted to be with me. And then it's like, yeah, then the dog passed away and then like horrible tragedy. My friend got murdered and I was just like laying in oh bed. Oh my gosh. And I was, my, my friend Tiffany had to come over and give me showers. Like I would put my hands outside in, in a bathing suit, my hands outside and she would have to like wash my hair cause I couldn't use my own hands. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I worked around it, but that was a really tragic time. And well, and, and you and I were talking a little bit off camera about how, you know, 
sometimes we just don't know. We don't know why things happen the way they do. Yeah, I don't understand why then and why in such like mm-hmm. close sequence, but I mean. And we may was, never find out, you know. No, no, and, no. And, you know, going back to faith a little bit, it's like, you know, like you were saying before, it's like, it's okay to say, I don't know, and I don't have all the answers. I think that's the message really that um, I, if anybody cares, you know, that that I would say now is that it's okay to not know. It's okay mm-hmm. to say, I don't know, like, you know, it's, it's so cool to have the answers and to have an opinion. And I know, especially now with like social media and, and everything, it's, it's cool to take a stand. It's cool to like, know, and and it is, it's cool. Know about politics, know about your local government, know about health, know about it, do your Mm -hmm. research, but it's also okay to not have an answer for everything. Right. And I'm learning to just be okay with not being the guy that knows everything. And, and so I've got, I've gotten so in, into so many great conversations, just being honest and saying, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I really started with the burns and, and the, and the tragedies like in my life, um, you know, having our friends come together and, and lament at the death of our friend. And, you know, people were turning to me as a Christian going, why would this happen to her? Why did this happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for me, it's like, you know, I know God knows mm-hmm. I, you know, but does that mean I have to No, Um, you know, and in my faith, I'm okay at this point with just saying, you know, it's in your hands, Lord, you know what you're doing. I don't, um, give me the guidance and wisdom to keep me going in the right direction. And let's just worry about my relationship with you yeah. and not all these other factors around us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm increasingly okay with not knowing what to say. Yeah. Well, and I think it really becomes a religion versus relationship type of of aspect when it comes to our faith anyway. It's, you know, it's not about all these set rules and guidelines because quite honestly, he came because we can't live up to those. Yeah. You know, I, and that's not saying to just go out and do whatever the heck you want. It's just saying, you know, um that there's a better way. And when you start to put those pieces that he has incorporated and kind of given us like a guidebook, so to speak, to look at when we do those his way, it seems like it works out better. Yeah. (laughs) Uncannily, it usually does. Sure. And so, well, this has been great Calico. I I so appreciate you being with us on this show. Um, You know, we we're going to be following your career. We're going to be, you know, we're probably, this is this, I think this episode is really going to kind of evolve around the seeker anyway. And I kind of do like a little bit of a write-up that goes with the podcast. So that'd be cool. Um, But, but like I said, I really appreciate you being here and I really appreciate you, you telling us about the rock a little bit more in your experience there. It's been awesome. Absolutely. And, and in closing, you know, you're talking about the seeker, one of um, them and you're a lyric guy. Um, one of the most important and lyrics that, that stuck with me forever was uh, her iron will awakens. And that's exactly what it was like the feeling of, of can you stand up after all that? Can you, can you find someplace, you know, whether it's 
as a Christian, you know, with God or finding a place within yourself where you can get your trembling knees underneath you and stand up. And I just love even seeing that lyric, her iron will awakens. I love it. Well, and, and, you know, that subtlety of Isaiah 40, 31 right there on the camera that kind of flashes by Mm -hmm. just embodies that a little bit too, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's perfect. Well, this has been great. I thank you so much. And this is Rocking Odd Todd signing out for this episode. You guys be well. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Song of Verse podcast. Hopefully it was an uplifting, honest, and meaningful experience for you. We do accept donations. If you feel led to give to the Song and Verse Ministries, check out songandverseministries.com slash donate for a number of different ways to give back. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. We hope you turn into the next episode of the Song of Verse podcast. Until then, keep searching for the DNA of God's Word found flowing through songs.